welcome to the NS North podcast. My name is Dan Byers, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Phil Casgray. How are you, Phil? I'm great. And you, then? I'm great. We are very happy to have you listening in on our ninth podcast in our series that introduces attendees to the great speakers presenting at NS North 2013. NS North is Ottawa's first independent iOS and Mac developers and designers conference. It will take place at the Ottawa Convention Center on April 19th to the 21st. In this podcast, we are pleased to have with us speaker Rick Fillion, and he joins us now. How are you, Rick? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you on. Um, so could you tell us a bit about uh, what, what, what you're all about, where you're from, what you do? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, my name is uh, Rick Fillion. I'm a, a Mac developer, mostly Mac developer, for uh, Black Pixel, a, a development company from Seattle. I'm actually local here to uh, Ottawa, but originally from Winnipeg. Um, so I mostly do uh, Mac development. I do a bit of iOS uh, here and there, uh, but uh, I, I typically stick to the Mac and usually on the, the UI side. Oh, very good. So you're a Westerner. <laughs> well, mostly central. Uh, yeah, central, yeah, sorry. <laughs> how, how long have you been in Ottawa? Uh, since uh, September-ish 2012, oh, came wow. out here because uh, uh, my girlfriend's doing uh, grad school, or doing her master's here. Oh, okay. And uh, how long have you been, uh, um, how long have you been employed by Black Pixel then? Uh, about the same amount of time. Um, so I started working for Black Pixel in, I think, November, October, November of 2012. So it's been just over a year. Um, yeah, a year and four months-ish. So that would be 2011, actually. 2011. Yeah, I'm sorry. Apparently I'm bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you were, you were into, more into design than development. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Very it's good. It's your artistic side. <laughs> there you go. That's what calculators are for. Like, hello, come on. Yes. So prior to Black Pixel, you were working on something that was actually... Uh, predating what we now know as the App Store. And you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so uh, while I was at Freshcode, um, or essentially the entire uh, time I was at Freshcode, uh, I worked on a little piece of software called Bodega, which was essentially uh, an App Store for the Mac, uh, predating the, the Mac App Store. Uh, it had most of the functions that you would assume you would assume are in an app store. You know, you can go uh, browse and buy software and um, get all your updates for existing apps, not just the ones you got through Bodega, but any apps you had in your system. Well, except for Mac App Store apps, once those came out, because those are a little harder to update. Um, so uh, we, um, being well, we had started doing iOS development and loved the idea of app stores and thought it was a great way for developers to get exposure and for users to have a very simple way of getting software. Uh, so we thought it'd be awesome to have one of those on the Mac since there was no signs of Apple developing one at that time. Uh, so we figured, hey, what the heck, we'll do it ourselves. Um, and so we did basically just that. We were three guys. Um, me, Phil Eterno, and uh, Chris Verweimerin, and uh, we spent a year and a half uh, building it and released it. Uh, had quite a few 
hundreds of thousands of users. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, really. Wow, that's pretty good. That's awesome. What we, we uh, what was your release date? Do you remember? Um, uh, something like somewhere in the summer two thousand nine ish. Oh, back then. Um, okay. Yeah. So we we had started working on it. I think in. Oh, see again, I'm bad with date math. Um, it, I can't remember if I start. We started in uh, early twenty or two thousand eight or two thousand nine. But yeah, we spent basically the first six months working on the server side, then the next six months ish working on the the actual apps that people interacted with. Um, oh, so that was not a, a, a simultaneous development. It was more of a we we need to build our infrastructure before we can even build a client. Yeah, um, we well, we, while we were building the server, we were building the uh, the core parts of the the, the client app, but uh, we didn't put huge focus on that before uh, the server was more or less complete. Ah, uh, it was a bunch and of NS buttons and text fields. Basically, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, it did the tests, and uh, uh, that was about it. Um, oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's a good idea, and that's a three-person development shop essentially. Yeah, that, that was all of us. We were two developers and one designer. Right, yeah. um, so, and we had to do it all. We had to do the 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 UI for the the website, the back end for the website, and like everything for the the Cocoa app itself. And so there was a ton of work, and then learning how to scale all that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, it uh, they they were very interesting challenges. Right, and uh, that probably put you in touch with a lot more people than you would have with just individual apps, because you were talking to app makers. So, what kind of involvement did you did you have with uh, the community of developers at large? Uh, was it like uh, did you have like forums, or was it a bit more that you would contribute code, or you would have uh, licenses, or you would have meetups, or what was it? Um. Really, I mean, a lot of it was was one on one um, meeting with with developers and um, trying to convince them. Because really, an app store is only as good as as the apps that are in it. Oh yeah. Uh, so a big part of our job was convincing people to to jump on board. So uh, yeah, that's a lot of legwork. Yeah, it is a lot of legwork, and uh, it's a very tough road to to convince people to 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 jump on board. Uh, especially when they have to do things because everyone's busy and uh, if when you have something that works uh, unless you're guaranteed revenue out of the the work you got to do uh, it's very difficult to, to convince people to, to to do any type of extra work right you have to remember that at the time we have to remember that at the time the users uh, sorry the developers what they had was they had to build their own app stores you know with their own payment processors and everything so that they already had all this back end that they've put money into and here you come with a new backend essentially right right well our, our goal was to integrate with any backend they already had right uh, which was a very huge challenge uh, of our wow. own um, so we we had uh, fairly good integration with with all the big stores out there uh, like fastspring and Kagi and most PayPal stores and uh, Ecelerate uh, like it gave me an opportunity to see and play with basically every store out there. Um, wow! So that that was fun. Were were you mostly on the development side? Like I guess like was 
was any of the of the three member team uh, more in the biz dev, or were you all were you all doing development and you're all doing biz dev and evangelism and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we basically everyone did everything because um, yeah. I mean we all wanted to be in the development team, uh, but you know the biz dev has to be happening uh, at the same time, so. Yeah. Uh, we we all pitched in where where we had to and uh, tried our best to make it work. Uh, that's, that's very impressive. Like it just goes to show you the power of small indie teams. You know, we're seeing this so often these days. But even back then, like you had such a like within within a year, right? You had uh, had a platform set up and were accepting people to submit their apps and like you had pretty good traction eventually, right? Yeah, like, it, I'm quite happy with uh, how that all turned out. Um, yeah. I, looking back, I think we were a little crazy for for having done it because uh, you know knowing what I know now, uh, how hard it was going to be. Uh, it's certainly not necessarily something I would jump at the opportunity of doing again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, very I'm proud kidding. of what we did accomplish. That's something that you will hear a lot at NS North, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but it looks it looks good on a resume though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I guess uh, the the advent of the of the Mac App Store and everything else kind of made you switch tracks a bit. Um, and so, did you jump from there over to Black Pixel at that point? Is that how that, how that would have yeah, worked? Yeah. So we um, Fresh Code. We, we had started doing a little bit more contract work, and then okay. uh, so I switched over to to Black Pixel uh, last year. Uh, and at Black Pixel, I've mostly stayed on their, their product side. Um, I've done a bit of contract work with them, but uh, since they have uh, three apps, there's a lot of work to do, and uh, I've been kept busy mostly uh, helping out on those. And which apps are, are you working on these days, or in the, even in the past? So, um, spent a bunch of time on. Um, uh, Net Newswire uh, versions, and uh, recently, uh, the most recent one I, I contributed to was uh, the, the 1.2 release of uh, versions. Ah, right on. So uh, that on on versions, uh, I did most of the retinification, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's, uh, I, I love the the different ways in which uh, you have to approach the the. Uh, Adding Retina support to apps, it's not quite as easy as uh, Apple likes to make it out to be, depending on how you're doing your drawing. And yeah, you just need um, to put add to X graphics everywhere. And <laughs> there you go. It's, yeah, exactly. that's, that's all it is. And this image takes care of it all. I wish that was the case. So you say that you're more towards, or you 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 enjoy more the the design side of things. Um, has that always been the case? Like, what what was your what was the what was the uh, well? How how did you get into Mac app development in the first place? Like, what was your thing that got you in the door? Um, basically, uh, I started in like the ten point two, ten point three days, um, so that was a while ago, and I had gotten a Mac to run Linux on it because um, the Mac, the the old iBooks were basically the the only good cheap small laptops uh, and my intention was to put Linux on it because I was a Linux user and so uh, I got the Mac I'd never I quite literally had never really put my hands on a Mac before uh, so I figured you know I'd spend a month with this foreign thing 
just to see what it was like and then, you know, go and do real work with Linux. Uh, but the development tools and most of the environment in general uh, really won me over in a hurry. So as soon as I started playing with Objective-C, I'm like, this, this is how you should be writing apps. It just, everything just made sense. So I, I knew right then, I'm like, this, this is the platform I want to build software on. Um, prior to that, I was uh, mainly a, a web developer. Uh, I, I guess some of the of our, our Linux using audience is saying, "Well, oh, I wish he had stayed on to Linux because then he could have helped, have helped improve the state of Linux development tools." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe next year could be the year of the desktop on Linux. <laughs> yes, but that that whole thing, I think you said, won you over, but it actually won you over many times over because you actually went out and got yourself a next cube at some point to go back in history. Yeah, so I, I had um, a great amount of respect for Next even before I was a, a Mac user because I had read up a ton about them and I knew that uh, OS X was basically Next App reincarnated uh, but I'd never seen one of those things in person uh, until I got the opportunity, uh, my friend uh, Dan Messing, who works for, for Panic, he uh, gave me his cube that he had laying around, um, not doing anything with it. Oh, so wow. I then had a cube, and so my job became to get um, OpenStep running on it, because uh, it was a pretty stripped-down machine that didn't have... Uh, a hard drive, or its hard drive was was broken, um, and didn't have much of anything. No disk drive, no CD-ROM. Uh, so imagine trying to get an operating system on a device that has no oh. um, removable storage or no fixed storage uh, is a bit of a challenge. Um, but I'm the uh, most stubborn person there is, and so I spent a ridiculous amount of time last winter uh, making that happen. So I, I eventually got it to uh, network boot off of uh, uh, a virtual machine I had running on my Mac, running OpenStep as well. Uh, so the, I wrote a nice long blog post about the, the process I went through, and it's a very long blog post, and that's the abridged version. <laughs> I tried to keep all the boring parts out. <laughs> so some people fix up old cars in their garage, and you fix up an old Next computer. <laughs> Basically, that's. <laughs> but the, but the, the the story is it works in the end. It really it's totally usable, and you can do Objective C development on it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean that it was super interesting to to get up and running. And once it was up and running, I never had uh, thought past that, and so suddenly <laughs> I have it up and running. And I'm I'm left with well now what, like <laughs> what was really the goal of all this? Uh, so I had to find myself an excuse for okay well now I have this thing up and running, uh, what am I gonna do? So I decided to write a little app uh, on it, uh, just something fairly trivial. Uh, it ended up being a front end to uh, the Unix uh, grep tool. Um, and my goal was to make the same app compilable and running, so like source compatible with OS X, but would run on this old cube. And uh -huh. so I managed to do it. The, the only differences were they each had separate nib files, um, 
which I could have gotten away with by just doing all the the UI in code. Um, but I figured, you know, that's a pretty small uh, difference to do. They're fairly simple nibs. Yeah, it's like a bootstrap, essentially. Sort of, yeah. So, um, other than that, they, the only differences were the project files. The, the, the rest of the source code was basically exactly the same. Um, so, it, it was interesting to have to find methods that all existed as of 10.0 and you don't realize how many uh, these methods that I've come to use every day that just don't exist back then so uh, I was surprised a few times when you know uh, I'd get a selector not found and realize oh I guess that came out later I'd look it up and yeah it came out in 10.3 or something and um, yeah, and 10.3 is still, like, ancient history, but yeah. Right. <laughs> so had this been done in the past at all? Like, were we able to draw any kind of, uh, you know, other blog posts at all? Anybody else had tried something like this? Or was this all pretty much rediscovery on your part? Um, I'd found a few forums of people doing things, uh, but it was mostly they had a working Next system already, yeah. And then they were just getting the... Because any Next system could be a network boot server fairly easily. Um, and so getting another one to network boot off of it is fairly easy. Uh, in my case, the big challenge was that my network boot server was running on a virtual machine that was a Next 86 processor. Uh, and the Next machine, obviously, is a Motorola processor. Uh and so I had to build manually a um, a universal boot image, which, as far as I know, no one there there were no instructions for how to do it. I had to uh, write my own, like hack away at the the installer for for OpenStep to make it a fully universal um, image, because as part of the install, it actually strips away all the architectures that you aren't running. So, uh, okay. guess it doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> no, they, <laughs> um, well, for a time they did with OS X, and then during the, the transition uh, from PowerPC to, to Intel, uh, they brought back the fully universal systems, and yeah. I think they still do it now since, well, I guess we still have 32-bit and 64-bit. Uh, right. At some point, we had four-way binaries between PowerPC, PowerPC 64, and uh, 386, and, and 64-bit. And, right, right. Yeah. So, it was a heck of a learning experience. Yes, yeah, <laughs> totally, sure. yeah. totally. So uh, at, at NS North, uh, you have an idea for a talk, and uh, can you quickly go over what what you think it's going to be about? Sure. So, uh, like I had mentioned, my I primarily do uh, UI development, or at least um, I stay closer to the front end than than the back end. It's, it tends to be where my interests lie. Um, and so because of this, I've had to work with, uh, with a lot of designers. Um, and we, as developers, um, you know, we think differently than designers. And uh, we, I guess everyone has their own process for, for you know, when to bring the designer in and, uh what should you have them do and what are the deliverables and things like that. And so I, I've developed my own set of 
just ways of interacting with with a, a designer and how to do things in code that make uh, hopefully that make the, the the process easier when not if but when they come back and ask for changes because it does happen it always happens um, and you sort of have to prepare for it you you and really it's, it, we shouldn't find it that shocking if I asked if I was asked to to go and develop something with half the specs, which is usually what they're doing design-wise. They only have half the specs as well. Um, I can't be expected to do it on the first shot, and so they shouldn't. Um, so they do their first iteration of design, and we start developing it, and then we start finding faults. Uh, so how do you prepare for that, and how do you make things uh, a little looser so that when that time comes, you, you can actually make t changes, or Better yet, have them make changes um, directly in your code. That's sure. brave. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I I fully support uh, having designers go uh, into our code, um, and it's more or less a requirement of mine. Uh, <laughs> I I push the um, designers that way, and likewise, I think developers should know about design, even if it's just uh, the basic stuff. Um, because I think the developers should be involved in the design process because we know the rules of the system a lot better than the designers will. We, we have to know it intimately. Um, so like in, in either case, we should be involved in their stuff and they should be involved in ours, and the closer we can get, the, the better. That's especially true of, the, of designers that are coming more from a web background than from an app background, so there are some rules that are not the same, and sometimes they need to be reminded of them. But once they get it, it's they can they can make some amazing things. Uh, absolutely, yeah. They, there's a lot of the yeah, like especially most designers these days, you know, come from a web background, and uh, just the the fact that we do have, even though people keep saying it's dead, the the human interface guidelines, uh, they're still huge parts of that. They're still hugely valuable. And both developers and designers should know it intimately, uh, know which parts are now considered outdated and we should probably ignore, and which parts still have a lot of value. And, you know, once you go through uh, the process of, of working within the code base, you know, I'm sure they get used to it and they, they really appreciate having that, that level of insight, I'd imagine, as well, eh? Um. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, right? <laughs> Eventually, they stop complaining. <laughs> uh, no, it's. I think it gives them a lot of freedom. Um, and there's so many things that uh, become possible, and just it frees up uh, a bunch of developer time, and it makes them be able to test more things instead of saying, let's go change that color from this shade of blue to this shade of blue that... You know, I can't tell the difference, but they want to test 14 shades. Um, then we can let them do that on their own, and uh, they can iterate as much as they want, and uh, it doesn't require any development time. All right, so that should wrap up this episode. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Rick. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thank you. We hope that our listeners enjoyed this episode, and our tickets are still available, but remember that attendance is limited. If you would like to know more about our conference, you can visit our website at nsnorth.ca for all the details. Now, Rick, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how might they go about doing that? 
Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Rick Fillion. Uh, they can email me either at uh, rick at blackpixel.com or uh, rick at umphalot.ca or is it umphalot.com? Uh, <laughs> I never remember that one. I don't use it as much. Um, so probably rick at blackpixel.com um, awesome. or Twitter. Uh, be sure to join us again on the next episode of the podcast. Only one more speaker to go, and we hope to see everybody in Ottawa in April. Thanks, Philippe. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. Bye, everybody.